Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Michael Robotham began his writing career as a journalist and feature writer for newspapers in Australia and the UK. In 1993, he accepted his first ghostwriting commission and went on to write 15 autobiographies, including that of UK 60s singer Lulu. It was in 2002 he turned to fiction and the world of crime writing with his Joseph O'Loughlin series, as well as his standalone novels, for which he's received international acclaim and awards. Respected by crime writing peers, such as Peter James, who says of Robotham's work, he writes in a voice with a haunting sense of soul that stays with you long after you've finished. Your new book, When She Was Good, focuses on Evie Cormack and it's Cyrus Haven is back for number two. Tell us a little bit about Evie and why you've created this character. I think Evie Cormack is my most fascinating character. Actually. I, I enjoy writing her more than any character I've ever created before because she is so unusual. I mean... She's a teenage girl who six years ago was found hiding in a secret room in a house where a man had been tortured to death. And she's malnourished and shows signs of abuse, but she refuses to reveal her name or her age or how she got in that room because her silence is her security because nobody knows who she is. And she's the last witness to a series of appalling crimes, which is why she has to be silent. But I think she's fascinating, not just because she's damaged and she's... Uh, but because she has a rather unique ability, which I think is born out of the great trauma she's experienced in her life, that she can tell when someone is lying to her, which is not in any way a superpower. It's, in fact, a curse. Cyrus Haven is your criminal psychologist, and uh, he's equally as interesting, though, isn't he? Yes, Cyrus is also damaged. I mean, it's one of the interesting things. I mean, he... He, he meets Evie at a children's home and his initial job is to, to see if she's ready to be released into the world because she claims to be 18, even if nobody knows her, her real age. But Cyrus himself had a tragic background and his entire family died when he was 13 years old. He came home from football practice to discover that his family were dead, which is why he became a forensic psychologist in a sense to understand that tragedy but I love it in terms of the relationship between the two of them because Evie Cormack has got every reason to never, ever trust a man, given what's happened to her in her young, in her young life. She's got every reason to never trust a man again. But in Cyrus Haven, she recognises someone that may be more damaged than she is, and perhaps together they can save each other. They've got a great relationship. They do, they do. And it's one of those, it's a prickly relationship and because she is so um, mercurial in a sense. She's, she is so damaged and so unpredictable um, that at times you, he struggles to understand, but I guess he at least knows where that's coming from. At times I think the reader will think, well, why does she try so hard to, you know, almost blow up her own life? And it's because she doesn't ever have any reason to think she deserves to be happy because she never has been. <laughs> 
Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Read, relax and join the conversation. She's your most interesting character, you say. Where did she come from? The ability to tell when someone is lying was a seed of an idea that was planted um, many, many years ago when I read quite a famous book by Dr. Oliver Sacks called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Here's, a, here's the legendary neuropsychologist, and he tells a story about being in an aphasia ward at a hospital. Aphasia patients have a certain brain injury, but they were watching Ronald Reagan on TV, uh, and Ronald Reagan was talking, and they were laughing, and Oliver Sacks said to them, you know, what's wrong? And they said, well, he's lying. And they would not have had the ability or the intelligence to understand a word that Ronald Reagan was saying but they knew he was lying. They could recognise something in his mannerisms or his micro expressions. And, and that fascinated me, this idea that there are people out there that can actually tell when someone is lying. It's a very, very rare thing, but there are people that exist that are called truth wizards. Wow. And Evie is one of those in some ways. Yes, she is. And, and a lot of people develop that skill. A lot of people, about, about one in 500 people, developed about an 80% ability to tell when someone's lying. Often they have come out of child services or their detectives or customs or immigration, and they spend their lives with people lying to them. Any school teacher would tell you that they get pretty good at picking out the lies as well. But um, they have about an 80% ability. And Evie, Evie's ability is, is greater than that. She has to be in front of someone. She can't do it off a video or anything like that. She, she's got to be face-to-face with someone, but she is completely infallible. And, and it's a... It's a curse because, you know, we lie all the time. I mean, we lie to our friends and to our loved ones. I mean, we lie to keep relationships together. When you say, yeah, you look great in that, or, you know, I only had the one beer, or I bought that on special, or I've read the terms and conditions. I mean, we tell lies all the time. But imagine if you could tell when someone was lying, because even three little words like I love you take on so much more meaning if someone can tell whether they're genuine or not. Evie is incredibly likable. How important is that for you as a writer, especially with this story and this girl's story that we as the reader fall in love with her, want the best for her? I think that's important in all my writing. I mean, it is possible there are writers that have created amazing characters who are odious, but still compelling. I always think of Trisha Highsmith and and the talented uh, Mr. Ripley. I mean, you can find, you can have a psychopath character or Dexter, for example, is another classic example of a, a character who is not a very nice person, but they're so compelling, we have to follow them. In most cases, though, I think if we're watching something or we're reading something and we reach a point where we realise we don't care about a single character, we don't care if they get the girl, don't get the girl, whether they solve the crime, we just don't care, then people, that you lose them then and there. So I think if I had a three-word motto, and I don't like three-word slogans, um, but if I had one, it would be make them care in terms of make the reader care. And that way, when I put my characters through such terrible ordeals, the reader is with them and hanging on, you know, their every moment in the hope that they can be rescued. In terms of pushing those characters, there's the physical and there's also the psychological that you put them through. The resilience, though, in your characters is key, both for Evie and Cyrus, your criminal psychologist who works alongside her. Talk to us about balancing that physical, psychological resilience. 
I think it's. I mean, I write psychological thrillers in a, in a sense. I mean, that's what they they've been labelled. I don't know who puts these labels on them. But for my very first book, I was called the writer of psychological thrillers. I mean, that fascinates me more. I mean, in 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 the crime genre or the mystery genre, there are many. It's a very broad church, and there are people that love the forensic nature of crimes and want to talk about every sort of fibre and blood splatter and and new CSI technique. I've always been fascinated with the psychology of um, the crime. What went through the mind of the perpetrator in the moments before they struck? What went through the mind of the victim? What goes through the minds of the investigators? The impact that that crime has on a community. We all know, we've all experienced, you know, even living in a country as safe as Australia, this idea that certain crimes capture their public imagination and they ripple through communities. They cause people to check their doors are locked at night or they don't want to teach their children to ride bikes anymore. I'm interested in the psychology, not just on the individual, but even on the community and what sort of resilience that creates in, in characters to actually draw on their inner strength, face their worst fears and find a way to overcome what do readers tell you when you get to meet them about that resilience and about that make them care idea that, that they're so drawn to Evie and Cyrus? I'm always amazed by readers how much they buy into into this to the point where one of my long, long-standing characters was Pro- Professor Joe O'Loughlin. And I've had, I've had um, marriage proposals for, for, for Joe. <laughs> I've had, um, I went at one point in my- Did you say yes? <laughs> when I first um, introduced him in 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 the suspect, the book that it, book ended with with his beloved Julianne being pregnant, and and I didn't write Joe for another two or three years as a character, and people would readers would come up to me and say, "Well, did Julianne have a boy or a girl?" And I'd go, "Well, I don't know," and they go, "But surely she's had the baby by now." <laughs> <laughs> that must be a great feeling as a writer, though. Oh, it's a great feeling to have that, that people are so bought into it, and they and they. They want me to keep characters and, and bring characters back or... No, I mean, they're bought into it. And and it's interesting. I mean, Graham Greene once said that a story has no beginning or no end. I mean, we as writers choose a moment to enter a story and create these characters' world, and then we choose a moment to exit that world. And in a sense, for readers, those people carry on. And that's why I was, you know, I talked to Ian Rankin, the wonderful Scottish writer about this, and they honestly imagine that he has a beer with John Rebus, his famous detective character, in, you know, that he has a beer with him every Friday afternoon. They, they actually think these characters are real. Why not dip your toes into your summer stories from Newcastle Libraries? Simply visit the Library Lounge on the Newcastle Libraries app or the website newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. What about you then? Do you draw on your own experiences? Is there some Cyrus in you, some Professor Joe O'Loughlin in you, or is there some Evie? I think Evie is drawn a bit from my three daughters who are now, you know, I've, I've, been, I've seen three of them go through teenager, you know, the teenage years. And um, uh, I think that's why I draw upon, I, I create sort of teenage, I can create a teenage girl having raised three of them. And some of the dialogue of Evie Cormack comes straight from the mouths of my... <laughs> My daughters. Joe O'Loughlin, I think, was very much like me uh, in terms of his sort of outlook on the world and his politics and his social conscience. But he was far braver. 
than I am and far more intelligent than I am. It's, there's a bit of wish fulfillment going on in all of those. Um, uh, I haven't worked out Cyrus yet. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a little bit of me, but I don't in any way think the books are autobiographical. You know, um, friends try to, to sort of imagine that I'm those characters, but they are truly fictitious. Is resilience innate or is it learned, do you think? Uh, perhaps a little bit of both. I mean, I think there is, you know, obviously a resilience in the fact that, that, you know, we have, and it shows up time and time again with tragedy and that we have an innate desire to live and we fight very hard, you know, to survive. And I think there is an innate sort of sense of fighting on. And I think some of it's learned though as well. And some it's like a muscle. I mean, if you've been through a lot of hardship, you, and I'm always stunned how often that tragedy seems to fall upon the same people, how often we all know people that it just seems as though their run of luck is just appalling. You know, having been through, you know, it's as though everything seems to visit them and yet they somehow pull through. And and I think that is... um, that's a learned thing, you know, um, but a part of it is just, you know, we cannot stop ourselves breathing. You can hold your breath for as long as you like. Ultimately, though, you know, you will breathe again. Let's talk about change then. Your characters grow. They they are resilient, especially people like or Evie. Do they need to change as well along the way, Michael? In my previous career, uh, you know, I was a journalist and then I was a ghostwriter. And I ghostwrote, I helped 15 people to pen their autobiographies, you know, well-known people. And the interesting thing about each of our lives, in in writing you talk about what a character arc, that basically the character is not the same at the beginning of the story as they are at the end because the events have changed that character. And our lives are like that. We are not the same people at seven that we are at 17, at 27, at 37. Events and people and greater knowledge changes who we are. And that's exactly what happens in fiction. So, you know, even though these people show all the resilience and they fight through and, and my stories tend to have, you know, they, I, they're not necessarily uplifting endings, but there's a, a sense of justice having been served at the end, the bad guy gets caught. But that doesn't mean that my main characters haven't been in some way damaged or changed by the events because we all are. I mean, life changes us. And that's why, I mean, it's inevitable that there is an arc to everything we do in life and there should also be a wonderful arc in all storytelling. In terms of love, your characters don't necessarily always have a romantic love. Evie's got a bit of a a crush, perhaps, on Cyrus, spoiler alert. But how important for you is that love journey, the relationships that are made along the way when we're thinking about resilience and change and storytelling? I love is an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I think there's no doubt that Evie does have a crush on Cyrus and, and Cyrus has to be aware, as all psychologists do, of, of this issue of transference because, you know, here he is. He's, he's the first real man in Evie's life that has not just listened to her but respected her and treated her well and sometimes patients you know particularly women who go to a therapy and and have a man perhaps that listens to them for the first time they develop an affection or they believe that there's more to that relationship i think oddly enough the relationship i think in the books in 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 when she was good that fascinates me most is the relationship between evie and terry boland the man that is murdered 
very early on and found in the house where Evie is found, his body is found. That relationship is unpacked because the assumption always is that he is the man responsible for locking her in that room and for all of the things that have happened to her. He's the man. But in fact, it's not as simple as that. He is the man that's tried desperately to save her. And watching that relationship develop between a grown man and this young girl, there's a love there. She learns and he learns to love her and he will die for her, you know, and and she learns to realise what love is through his sacrifice. Create your own summer stories with Newcastle Libraries through our incredible collections, e-learning resources and summer programs. Find out more at the Newcastle Libraries app or website. Is there a flip side? Do you have to include bitterness, jealousy, hatred if you're going to have love? Yeah, there are two sides to every coin, you know, um, and I think that's definitely true. I mean, um, it's no different from, you know, this idea we need bumps in the road to keep us awake, you know, in life. You know, if everything was smooth sailing, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, we, we only ever see love in its purest sense because we can compare it against the opposite of love. And I think we appreciate it more because of that. There's also loss as well, I suppose, death. Yeah, I think that's very much. I mean, when you're writing in the, the, the crime genre, you know, and then my wife in a perfect world would love me to be the very first crime writer who wrote a crime novel without a crime in it. Um, <laughs> Good luck with that. She got some ideas for you? Yeah, no, I wish she had because then I might be able to do it. But no, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because that's what crime fiction does. It allows us to explore the darker sides of human nature and the human psyche. And so we live in, as I said, a beautiful part of the world, and which is relatively crime free. All of us know that deep down we have the, you know, it's what something P.D. James said. We all have, we're all capable of committing murder. We're all capable of pulling that trigger in the right circumstances or the wrong ones. And in a sense, it fascinates us, that idea. And it's the same reason that we drive past accidents very slowly or that idea of the body under the white sheet because, in a sense, we imagine that that could be us or someone we know. And there is a fascination with that. Love motivates Evie too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, I think it motivates Evie. I mean, survival, first of all, motivates her. I think she learns to... She's, she's desperate to be loved and she's desperate to find love, which is why, in a sense, she does transfer affection onto Cyrus so readily. She loved Terry, but lost Terry, uh, Terry Boland. And in a sense, because we don't know about her family, but we get little snippets of where she came from. But there was a time in her life where she was loved and she would love to go back there. It's that fascination of death and car accidents and crime that makes this book a very good uh, Christmas present. It's a, a funny thing, sitting on the beach, reading a crime novel like yours. Why do we enjoy that? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I, I, I once, uh, when I last toured in South Africa, I remember sitting, in, you know, standing in front of an audience there, of, I don't, you know, and, and there had been something like 70 policemen murdered in Johannesburg since the start of the year. Not people, that's just policemen. And I remember looking out and saying to them, why would you be interested in reading crime fiction? You pick up a newspaper and you are just living in this crime-ridden world. And the answer I got, which is, I guess I should have expected, is that in crime fiction, justice is served. The killers are normally caught and, and order is restored. Whereas in real life, that 
sometimes doesn't happen. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're fascinated and why we read crime fiction. Because in a world where bad guys do get away with terrible things, the beauty of when we read crime fiction is normally, not always, but normally, justice is done, the world is set to right, and we can go to bed knowing that we're safer. Make them care. Michael Robotham, you did just that when it comes to When She Was Good. I cared a lot about Evie and Cyrus. Thank you for having a chat with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen. This has been a Newcastle Libraries Real Production production.